Welcome into the uh, Chris Collinsworth podcast and uh, welcome in our director of R&D here at uh, Pro Football Focus, Mr. Eric Eager, who is in Philadelphia after giving a speech to the good people at the Wharton Business School up there. How did that go? It's great. I uh, It was the first time I like gave like something like that, I guess since Sloan, but like in front of a bunch of people. And uh, I, I hope I still have it. I, still, I hope I still have it. Professor Eric Eager, do you miss it a little bit when you stand up in front of the room? You you were a professor in college forever, and when you get back up there, do you go, eh, I kind of miss this? I don't know. Football's pretty fun, Chris. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> tell me about it. So we have – so obviously this is a really big year for PFF. For people who don't know, we're getting ready to come out with an app, which is – I studying this thing and we're talking about this crazy app every single day and whatever it is that we release in the middle of august is going to be as uh george shahuri tells me the worst version of this thing but even now it's really exciting with the news feed that we're starting to put together with the betting odds with the fantasy all in one place uh and then we're unleashing on the soccer world this year uh, with our B2B and our consumer business there. I, there are just so many really exciting things to happen. Oh, by the way, we've got another football season coming up here. And uh, Eric, you're such a big part of everything that we do on sort of the the gambling front and, and exactly what that means uh, here. We thought we would go through some of the win totals for this season because at the end of it, that's really what's exciting about this year. You can extrapolate out from these numbers what the betting public and the smart money if you want to call it that is uh is thinking about this football season uh, is there anything that jumps off the screen at you as we begin this that we should be focused in on yeah i mean for me right now the biggest thing that jumps off the page for uh you know the the season is i like i don't know if i can bet an over in the afc like, I, you know, as far as win totals are concerned, like, you know, you, when you look across the conference, you have the AFC West where every single team has a uh, win total in the market that is an eight and a half or above, meaning like everybody, everybody's 500 or better in that division, which is just really difficult, you know, to think about, okay, which one of those teams is going to run away and get 10 or, you know, to get 12, 13 victories. And then you look at the AFC East and you have, you know, three teams that had winning records last year, the, the Bills, the Dolphins, Patriots. And then, you know, people are pretty bullish on the Jets, even though, you know, they, they've not been good for, for some time. And then, you know, the AFC North, there's a lot of uncertainty there with what's going to happen at the quarterback position for the Browns this year. Um, but then you have the Ravens and obviously, you know, your Bengals, the AFC uh, reigning champions. And then you have a Pittsburgh Steelers team that had a winning record last year by the grace of God, I think. So, um, you know, not not to say, you know, also that the Colts and the AFC South are, are a solid are a solid side to go along with the Titans, who were the one seed in the in the conference last year. So, you know, for me to look and say, okay, I think there's maybe one team where I'm kind of like, oh, I think this team will exceed expectations. But for the most part, I think these teams are just going to beat each other up. All right. Let me go through at least one theory of mine for this football season, right? I, I need to, I like to try things out on you before I say I'm on national okay. television. Um, in, in many ways, this is going to be the year of the wide receiver. We have never seen wide receivers given as much respect 
as we have in this current football season. So it's always about the quarterback, right? And I, I you know, you make a list of, of all the quarterback changes, and it's significant. I, I mean, it, it really is. Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Trey Lance, Marcus Mariota, Drew Locke or Geno Smith, whoever ends up there, Deshaun Watson or Jacoby Brissett, whoever ends up there. That is a big number of quarterbacks on the move for this season, and that's going to grab the headline. But when you go, okay, what does Devontae Adams do with the Raiders, right? That is a big ticket item um, that, that we saw from the Raiders come out. Tyreek Hill. Big ticket item, right? This is quarterback kind of money movement sort of thing that we're talking about. A.J. Brown. Can those guys uh, begin to, to move the needle on quarterbacks that were thought of as being second or third tier quarterbacks um, in, you know, in Philadelphia, in, in Miami, in Las Vegas? Uh, because if they do, and, and to some extent, Hollywood Brown, you know, and, and the flip side of that is what does DeAndre Hopkins not being there for the first six games yeah. of the season do? So um, Amari Cooper, uh, Devontae Parker going to New England. Uh, is this a, if, if we see a major uptick out of Derek Carr and they win the division, if we see a major uptick out of the Miami Dolphins in Tua, if we see a major uptick in Philadelphia, um, is this is this some kind of proof or validation for wide receivers in the National Football League? Well, I think it's been there, right? So since 2011, the new CBA, like there, the NFL has carved out a, a a window for teams that don't have the great quarterback. They don't have. You know, if you don't have Tom Brady, you don't have Peyton Manning, you don't have um, Drew Brees or, or now, you know, Mahomes or, or somebody like that. You know, the NFL in 2011, the you know, 2010 draft, Sam Bradford was the first overall pick and he got about $50 million guaranteed. And so there was not, there was a, dis, they were disincentivizing the idea of being able, you know, hey, let, let's, let's bleed out a little bit for a year. Let's get a high draft pick. Let's take a quarterback and you know move this thing up because if you did there was a significant price tag in addition to the losing that you had to incur by taking a quarterback high that you know starting with cam newton that has not been the case in you know i i i've said this a few times but since 2012 every single super bowl save the uh atlanta new england super bowl in 2016 has included a quarterback on a rookie deal and if you take a look back and, and this is, I think, one of the triumphs of PFF, what I'm really happy about with our PFF war metric. We've always said that these receivers are valuable because there's been this sort of gap in the logic of, okay, if you have a great quarterback, you can win. But there are teams without great quarterbacks who win. And the, the, the logic gap is filled and has been filled by teams with quarterbacks on rookie deals being able to build not only great receivers, but we'll talk about the receivers in a second, but great receiving cores using the money – that they don't have to pay on their veteran quarterback because the, you know, the rookie wage scale gives them, affords them that. So you think about, okay, you know, where, where have we seen this happen? It's like, 
you know, in, in, in Kansas City, they had Tyreek Hill, who was somewhat on a discount. That was kind of a weird thing. But they gave up, they put $16 million APY into Sammy Watkins to be the second receiver. And while he wasn't great, like he was pretty good in the playoffs for, you know, when they won the Super Bowls. You look at, you know, um, uh, you know Deshaun Watson had his brilliance in Houston. That was DeAndre Hopkins supplementing him, right? You know, and, and so I, you know, you think of these as pairs. I think you, I think your, your point of reference is good. If you have a highly paid quarterback, it's you can't necessarily square the highly paid wide receiver, which is why you saw Green Bay ship Adams out of town, which is why you saw, um, you know, uh, the Chiefs ship Tyreek Hill out of town. Um, you know, the, why the Ravens <laughs> let Hollywood Brown walk because, again, they're probably going to end up paying Lamar Jackson. Why Stephon Diggs left Minnesota, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, Stephon Diggs going to you know, Josh Allen's team when Josh Allen's on a rookie deal and elevating him to an MVP kind of player. Um, so what we've seen here is a, a look at saying, okay, the number one thing you want to have in the NFL is an elite quarterback who that's your forever quarterback, the Josh Allen's, the Mahomes is eventually Burrow, Herbert, those guys. The second best thing is to have a quarterback on a rookie deal and have the cap flexibility to be able to incorporate an AJ Brown, to incorporate a Tyree kill, um, and I think that teams realize that this offseason far more explicitly than they had before. Isn't that exactly what happened to the Cincinnati Bengals a season ago with Jamar? Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, and, and as I look at the Bengals football team, I, I keep trying to go, why are they not well regarded, right? If anything, if... Lyle Collins stays healthy. He's got a back issue or whatever right now. But if if that offensive line was the huge weakness on that team that they very nearly overcame a season ago to win the Super Bowl, and now they're clearly better than what they were a year ago. They're still on rookie contracts with all these yep. guys. Like, it's, it's funny to me that they're almost dismissed as, okay, the Bengals had their one-year run, but they're done. Like, I can't come up with the, yeah, that's why they're done theory because Pittsburgh's changing quarterbacks. Cleveland's got an issue with the quarterback position. And one of the reasons that you like Tennessee and Indianapolis is they get four soft wins, or yes. should. It didn't work out that way for Indy last year in Jacksonville. But they should have a great opportunity to go 4-0 against those lesser teams in their division. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I the thing with the Bengals is, like, we just – we've seen this happen so often in the history of the league where, you know, I, I, my personal opinion on the Bengals is like, they're going to get better this year, but maybe, you know, maybe folks are not going to see the results necessarily right away. And, you know, what I really like about the Bengals franchise, I think some people view this as a negative, but I, I do like the Bengals franchise's loyalty because what you often see with these teams is like a really good pop-up year and the Bengals, you know, like, I mean, they had some, you know, lucky breaks. The the Dalvin Cook fumble in Week One, uh, you know, I think that I think the Chiefs mismanaged that game in Week Seventeen, so on and so forth. Like, probably a ten and seven team, easy schedule, and then they get in the playoffs and they get hot, and everybody's like, oh, okay, this is who the Bengals are. And like the history of teams like that is just that they regress the second year. So I think everybody's sort of looking at that and saying, okay, this team's going to get worse. I don't believe that. I think this team's going to get fundamentally better. But I don't know if you're going to have the same results. And, like, as somebody who goes to Bengals games, because I, I, I really do enjoy watching them play, 
I just look at this last eight games for them where you're going at Steelers, at Titans, Chiefs at home, Browns with Watson likely at home, at Bucks, at Patriots, home to Bills, and then Ravens at home. Like the, the Bengals could be a very, very good team and go 500 in those games. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's it's more of just like the environment changes, but I agree with you. They're a lot better and they're a team, you know, and I know that they've gotten a lot of flack in recent years, but they're a team that has taken full advantage of this, this edge that the NFL gives them. Not only with Burrow, you know, when Burrow was a rookie, the next highest paid starting quarterback in the NFL was making $10 million more than him. That was Teddy Bridgewater of Carolina at the time. So they obviously know that edge exists, but then they get T Higgins in the same draft. Who's, you know, a, he's probably a 15 to $20 million wide receiver. And then you get Jamar Chase, who's probably a 20 to $25 million wide receiver. And they've used that surplus and said, okay, we're going to build a defense, but we're not going to build a defense the way that some of these teams are building defenses haphazardly. We're going to take last year. I think the number was six. They had six players in their secondary that had played a thousand snaps for a different franchise before. And they just said, look, we're going to let the best five players in the secondary play. And it ended up being Eli Apple and Von Bell and guys that who were really good for them last year as a group. They put Trey Hendrickson at the edge, and that was a pretty good defense. Like, I, it, you know, it's weird to say this, but the Bengals have constructed their roster, given the luck they've had at quarterback and wide receiver, exactly how you want them to. So I agree that I think they'll be better. I just think that, as I said, the schedule for them lays out. It, early in the season, it's not bad, but in the end of the season, it's a murderer's row for them. And I think that that's why people maybe aren't as high on them. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a very interesting thing because you go back to the beginning of last football season. Burrow obviously gets hurt the year before. Nobody knew if he was even going to make it to opening day. He does. Nobody knew if he was going to be the same player that he was. If anything, he was better and clearly got better, as did the defense and that secondary you're talking about that was made up of a lot of first and second round draft picks around the league. All of a sudden, they're adding draft picks in the top of their draft to that secondary uh, and they're still keeping Jesse Bates. Uh, it, it's a really, uh, my problem is it's my hometown team and the one that I played for. And I keep going, what am I missing here? I feel like if this were the Pittsburgh Steelers or some team with a little bit more history, we'd be going, oh my God, they've got all these skill position guys on rookie contracts. Pretty this After this year, they're going to have to pay Burrow. But, you know, this one year, They've got it all together, and they've got it all together in a pretty cheap deal. All right, let's move on here because let's, we'll just start in the north because there are two teams there, that the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who we saw how good the Browns football team is. We don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback position with Deshaun Watson. We, we don't know what's going to happen. And the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to make the quarterback change as well. So, but the Steelers are traditionally that team I just talked about that they make the playoffs and they're, they're going to win, have a winning record. What do you do? Because if all of a sudden the AFC North, because of the quarterback, becomes more like the AFC South with two lesser teams as they transition in quarterbacks, could the Ravens and the Bengals add four, go 4-0 four against those divisional opponents and be that 12-13 win team this year? I think that's possible. And that, and that to your point is the, is probably the path for the Bengals to, to do like, if they get the one seed, then all bets are off as far as repeating what they did last year. Um, and, and so they'll, they'll need that to happen. I think 
Cleveland has a great roster uh, aside from quarterback and it, and it doesn't look like Watson's going to be suspended the whole year. So, you know, they could keep things afloat and, and win, you know, seven to nine games, even in like, even, you know, in modest outcomes with Jacoby Brissett and so on. Um, the Steelers are the one, I mean, they had a, a really negative point differential last year, still somehow won nine games. I think everybody looks at Tomlin probably rightly and says, Hey, he's, you know, he just adds so much, but at some point you have to think that that Steelers team with a rookie quarterback, likely um, an offensive line that got better last year, but isn't good. Uh, a defense that I think was feasting off of some, I mean, Cam Hayward and, and TJ Watt, you're not going to do much better than that, but the secondary hasn't gotten all that much better. The linebacking core is weak. So I do think the Steelers end up being the punching bag, but we've said this for a couple of years now and they, and they haven't really been able, you know, they, they've always overcome there, but yeah, I think, you know, that with the Ravens, you have to keep Lamar healthy. I think he, I think it's underrated. And, and this is something that I've, I've asked around the league about. And I, I do think, you know, Lamar getting COVID the, the number of times he did really did affect him. Um, so you had the, the injury to his foot and also, or the ankle. And also you had just like the you know, symptoms of COVID-19 that I think like really hampered him. If he gets back to form, you know, the tight ends that they drafted, the one they already have in Andrews, offensive line gets better with Stanley getting back. The defense, they've really stocked up on this season. Um, you know, I think that the Ravens and Bengals are going to be a formidable pair in that in that division. Yeah, I, I mean, just the injuries alone, right? When you, you lose both running backs before you get to opening day, and that's still a bit of an issue. I mean, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, neither one of them are – active i don't think right now on the on the on the roster at least practicing yeah. you know they're still going through it and then you've got your two cornerbacks that were great players and and marcus peters and, and marlon humphrey uh, acl and a pectoral tear there as well um yeah. and so to me that team you know they're what eight and three i think when when they were the one seed in the afc at one point in yeah time. and knocked off yeah. kansas city we we did that game their offensive line also allowed 57 sacks ronnie stanley went out early in the season for that football team they draft a center uh and no hollywood brown so i i guess the question is does it make a difference if lamar has that top flight receiver or not as long as because they're going to be run 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 play action man-to-man -man coverage can Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews do enough against those kinds of looks to not really change or impact this offense yeah so just to your point the the four top cap hits for the for the Ravens this year are Lamar Jackson who missed time last year Ronnie Stanley who missed the whole season Marcus Peters who missed the whole season and Marlon Humphrey, who after he got hurt against Pittsburgh, the Ravens didn't win again. So, like that's you know, <laughs> you know, carry the two. That's like you know, seventy million dollars of cap space that that is like you're not getting anything out of for a lot of the season. So, um, you know, the thing with Lamar Jackson, and, I, and I've, I've done some some studies on this with the tracking data and everything. Like the thing with Lamar is that linebackers don't move against him. So, and it's gotten worse as the as the worse as in better for them explain as, that a little know, bit more you're, you're talking about off of play action so in other words they don't play they don't play anything but the play action pass they're well, not giving up the big play and they also don't flow against the run so one of the things we've been looking at is linebacker play like the interplay between play action 
and flowing hard against the run. So somebody like Zach Cunningham is extremely good at flowing to the run. Like after you adjust for all, and this is what math can do, you can adjust for all the, the play level variables and stuff. Zach Cunningham closes ground on the running back way better than a lot of other linebackers, but the guy bites on play action worse than anybody in the league. So there's that interplay. And obviously you want linebackers who are so discerning that they're able to flow against the run when it's a real run play and, and not when it's not. And what we see is that, you know, the, and, 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 you know, it's a good question to ask. Why does Gus Edwards average five yards of carry in his career, even though he's not well thought of, um, you know, JK Dobbins was a top 10 player um, in the NFL the last three years, well, over the last three years, his yards before contact per carry is one of the best in football. St. Gus Edwards is top 20. Lamar Jackson's first, right? So what we, like, that running game, just by virtue of what it is, causes defenses to just, like, they're, they're in mud a little bit, right? And so I think that the hard part is, okay, then how do you, how do you take advantage of that in a passing game? And they certainly did with Andrews. I mean, Andrews emerged last year from a player who I thought was very much a, like, oh, this offense just schemes him a bunch of layups to a guy who was, I think, a superstar tight end. I think he had the most wins above replacement among tight ends during the regular season. I think Kelsey caught him by beat by, by his playoff performances. But Andrews is a great player that there's a lot of feel, right? When linebackers aren't moving, right, you, you, you kind of have to, like, be a better feel player. And I never thought, like, he and Hollywood Brown kind of had that connection. Rashad Bateman's got to have that with Lamar because otherwise, like, they're, they, they just lack – talent on the outside and sometimes you know and Lamar's fantastic again when you average three yards per carry before contact on design runs and six yards per carry before contact on all runs as as a quarterback that's almost as good it's not almost as good as passing but it's it's a good second thing to passing but you need sometimes just to be able to go three-step drop on third down and five and 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 hit a wide receiver uh you know in space and like Bateman's got to be that for Lamar Jackson. If he is, I think that this team's going to be really hard to beat. Yeah, the other one that that really is of interest to me, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, their over-under is seven. Is that right? Yep. yep. Seven wins. Um, and it's almost impossible for me to say out of 17 games, the Pittsburgh Steelers aren't going to win at least eight. They could even have a losing record and still win that bet. But – there are a lot of things going against this football team, whether it's Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. Uh, that's a that's a major change. They're going to Najee Harris, you assume, almost all the time. I mean, they're going to wear that poor kid out uh, yeah. by the time that he gets finished. Defensively, they're a team that every year has finished like number one in sacks forever and ever and ever. But that's also implying that you can get teams into passing situations to unleash your pass rush and if you're playing from behind you don't get into that those kinds of situations uh, as many times and this is also a team to your point that's averaging allowing five yards per carry uh, against the run so this is this is there are a lot of things that to me don't feel good about the pittsburgh steelers this year in a tough division uh but there's no i there's I, it's not even humanly possible for me to take the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise, Mike Tomlin, the emblem on their helmet, and go, that team's going to finish with six wins this year. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that in a season where the Ravens won 14 games, won eight games with 
what is it, Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it, it's tough. I think Tomlin is one of those coaches, you know, we, we, you know, he's not a great fourth down decision maker. You know, he's not particular. I, I don't like, he's not a schemer, right? He, when he took over in Pittsburgh in 07, um, you know, Dick LeBeau, like was still the defensive coordinator. He, and he was a Tampa two guy and he let the guy run the four, three, the, the Blitzbergs kind of stuff. So he's not like, he's just a motivator that I, I, I really think. And I think Brable is that way. The coach of the year last year is on, uh, on the Titans side where you just kind of have to earmark that in for a little bit. Now, I don't know, man. I think that the the talent level on this team is such that they're going to struggle. I think at the cornerback position, um, you know, they lost Mike Hilton, obviously, uh, to, to your Bengals. Um, you know, so that one, you know, they, they have Cam Sutton there. Uh, Akella Witherspoon comes over from San Francisco to be like their third corner. Uh, Wallace is there on the outside as well. Like, it's just not a great group and there's not a lot of depth. Um, and then at the linebacker position, I mean, I know Devin Bush is a top 10 pick, but he has not performed like one, especially since he got hurt. They bring Miles Jack over from Jacksonville. And it's like, I don't know if that, it, that, that doesn't remind me of the old Pittsburgh, you know, the linebackers that much. So I, I think all the fundamentals point towards Pittsburgh not being very good. And, but at the same time, like there's Mike Tomlin, right? And this is one of the reasons why I don't think I can bet over on, on most teams in the AFC but I think that with this one, I'm going to I'm gonna refrain from losing money betting they're under, I think. Yeah. So you get one. Take one out of the AFC North and we'll move on here. Which what which bet, which one bet yeah. do you like the most in that division? So the Bengals 22 to 1 is a great bet to win the Super Bowl. I think um, they, if they get in the, if they get in the tournament, it's just really hard for them. Uh, it's really hard for them to, to, for me to think that they're going to be an easy out. I, obviously, I mean, last year they were 3-0 in the playoffs. So I, I just think it's going to be, if they get in, if they get through that gauntlet that I said at the end of the season, I don't think that there's a more formidable side in the AFC. I, I, I'm going to stick to my gut, too. I, I think they go over 10 wins. I, I, there's just nothing that says to me the Bengals are going to be less than what they were last year. And I think that when you – look at what they did inside that division against Baltimore and against Pittsburgh. Uh, they got beat by Cleveland twice, but the last game was a nothing game that didn't mean anything. The Bengals didn't play anybody. Uh, and and both the Steelers and the Ravens, I mean, and the Browns have issues at the quarterback position. I, I'm, I'm going the Bengals over 10. Okay, let's go on to the AFC South, which um, – spending a lot of time here with Jacksonville these days because I'm getting ready for the, the Hall of Fame game. Ah, uh, yes. Is there, is there a, a case to be made with Doug Peterson coming in there that there could be some upheaval here? Um, Tennessee Titans had the best record in the AFC a season ago. Uh, Indianapolis Colts lose to Jacksonville in the last game and cost them a playoff spot. But those are the two teams that feel like they have the easiest path with Jacksonville and with Houston in their division. Yeah, I think that this is um, – the, the Titans are always underrated, I think, for the same reason that the Steelers are, that their head coach is just like a force multiplier in ways that's hard to quantify. Like, Brable isn't a great fourth down decision maker, but he does good things on – you know, he does good things like sort of just tactically. I mean, that team had – 
you know, more injuries. You know, they played more players on their roster than any team in NFL history last year. There's like 90-something guys games. or whatever that rotated through. I, Vrabel actually yeah. told us the number, whatever it was. Yeah, but they were they were the one seed in the AFC, an AFC that included the the Bills, who they beat, and the Chiefs, who they throttled, you know, in, in Nashville. Um, so this is a, you know, that's a team that, by you know, seller beware, I guess, if you're going to bet under on them or bet them not to win the division. But, you know, to me in this marketplace, I think that there is, there's two teams that I, I, I'm considering betting. And, and one is the Colts. Um, I just have a ton of respect for not only, you know, Frank Reich, um, Matt Ryan, who I think, you know, I, I think we'll know pretty quickly in the season, whether or not he's got it left in, in the tank. You know, I think that there's a significant likelihood that he doesn't, but if he does, this team's going to be pretty good. You know, they have great, uh, you know, uh, George Lee, John Park, guys in the analytics department. You can tell when they play a game that they, like, are trying to scrape away the edges and get, you know, and 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 win, you know, which, which I think for some teams, you wonder if that's the case. So they're a team that I think are a lot like the Dallas Cowboys, where, you know, if they win 12 games, we're all going to come back in December and look at each other and be like, oh, yeah, we should have seen this coming. Like, this team's a house. You know, like, what? why did we doubt this team? Um but much like the Cowboys, there there are also you know a couple things go wrong and this thing could go really wrong. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that's that's kind of where I compare it. And then so the team that might take advantage of it is Jacksonville, seven to one to win the division. Six and a half is the only win total in the AFC. I'll go over. Um, it is Jacksonville. Um, but I think there's a lot of different ways to bet this because frankly, this team nothing else matters except for two things. One, they're going to try to win this year because if you look at their salary cap next year, it's a mess, right? So they're trying to win this year. And that's an, actually an important thing when you're betting these markets. Are the Bears trying to win this year? I don't know, actually. Like, that's a, I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying I'm actually not sure. Jacksonville is very much trying to win this year. And it all depends on Trevor Lawrence. And if Trevor Lawrence ends up being the quarterback that everybody thought he could be, like this you know, six and a half is not the meat like six and a half is just the median but like seven wins is not really like a common outcome i think there's a fat tail to this team where if lawrence ends up winning like playing good football with doug peterson and, and company that team could win nine or ten games you know and it, much like they did in 2017 so i think that one's the interesting one for me in this division if they can hit on everything you know it, it's it was interesting that the Christian Kirk deal was like, what? They paid how much for Christian Kirk? And yet, if you go back and you watch Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence's big plays, and there weren't a lot of them. There really weren't uh, a season ago. 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Uh, he did a good job escaping pressure on a lot of things. But generally, his big plays were sort of lobs to corner routes, back shoulders down the field, contested catch kind of situations. Um, and and Christian Kirk has a lot of that in him. That's that's yeah. also where his big plays came. So when I was watching the tape of those guys, I was like, I go, mm, and he's a route runner. You want to come up and play cover zero. Now he is probably more of a slot kind of inside receiver kind of guy. But, you know, he led Arizona in, in receptions. Uh, a season ago uh, and then the other guys have to hit right Zay Jones has to have a year Marvin Jones in his whatever 10th year or something like that has to have a year uh, but probably the guy who has to have a year more than anybody is Evan Ingram 
Evan Ingram, you wrote the article about tight ends on their second contract, great athletes that become great players at the midpoint of their career sometimes. It, it, I, I, the swing vote for me on, the, on Jacksonville is does Evan Ingram pop? You know, because he could. Athletically, he clearly could. Uh, and does Travis Etienne come back to looking like yep. he did? And, and really, their other running back, James Robinson, can he play coming off the uh, Achilles too? Yeah, and and they had an op- they have an offensive line that is like I would say a bunch of okay players, which you know that's okay, right? As long as they stay healthy. Um, but yeah, Ingram's a player like we see like Eric Ebron, right? When he went with Andrew Luck, you know he gets a ten touchdown season. You know what I mean? And and uh, that that yeah, when you're an athletic tight end and you're taken high, oftentimes the team is drafting you for your second team, unfortunately. And and maybe that's the case with the Giants. I mean, the Giants, so much dysfunction last year that it's, it, you know, it, it, it you you question whether or not he was given a full shake. But, um, you know, in, in Jacksonville, you know, you're playing for a guy like Doug Peterson, who, you know, it, you know, was in Kansas City when Travis Kelsey started to emerge. He was in Philadelphia with Zach Ertz, and then eventually Dallas Goddard, who's now a very fine player. Um, so th- there's there's precedent there for him to be better. I think that the big thing for Jacksonville is you look at that receiving core and you say, okay, none of those guys are brilliant. But it, but all of this is conditional on what Trevor Lawrence does. If Trevor Lawrence can't play, then none of it matters, right? None of it matters. But if Trevor Lawrence is who we all thought he could be, then I think in the same vein, none of it matters either. Like Zay, Zay Jones could be you know, uh, you know, when, when Carson Wentz emerged, Nelson Aguilar was like all of a sudden this great player, right? And and Alshon Jeffrey all of a sudden was, you know, worth the money and so on and so forth. That's what I think the gamble Jacksonville is making is let's get competent at a bunch of spots, head coach specifically. And if Trevor Lawrence has it, then they're going to be pretty good. If he doesn't, then you just move on. Like If he doesn't, then none of it matters, right? Not, nothing else matters if, if Trevor Lawrence isn't good. It would be stunning. The the other one that I, if I had to pick like a player out of the Colts lineup, for me, I think it would be their rookie uh, wide receiver and Alec Pierce. It's like, can they come up? We, we know what they have in Jonathan Taylor. We know what they have their offensive line. We know Michael Pittman's going to make some plays. Mo Alley Cox is fine uh, making plays. But if they come up with that second receiver and, and the kid out of Cincinnati, Alec Pierce, mm-hmm. um, has some of that in him, has some of that deep threat stuff in him. You know, if they can just push the defense off of Jonathan Taylor, I feel like that that's a team, you know, that really has a chance to pop this year. Yeah. And, and they play, and I the one, the one question I have for that team is a, does Matt Ryan have anything left in the tank? Cause I think you, you could very, you know, in the second half of some of these seasons, you could certainly see him falling off. Philip Rivers had the same characteristic, by the way, and he took them to an 11-win season in 2020. So, so I don't think that that is insurmountable. But the defense, right? So one of the things when we look at these linebacker, you know, metrics and stuff like Bobby Okariki and Dar- uh, I guess Darius Leonard wants to be called something else now. I forgot what the what the middle name is, but uh, Leonard, the linebacker for them, the superstar, um, they don't move on play action which is crazy considering they play in a division which Houston's a smash mouth team, you know, uh the Titans have the you know probably the best running back in all of football and and they don't move. Like they they were a very disciplined, very solid defense over the last 3-4 years. Not a lot of stars, 
but a very solid defense. And I thought Eberflus very much earned the head coaching job in Chicago by, by what he did there. Can they maintain that? Because I think if they get the, the get on the green defensively, Matt Ryan's going to be able to make enough plays on, on play action. And, t- and even if he's not as good as we thought he was, he's going to be able to make enough plays to guys like Pittman, as you said, Alec Pierce, Allie Cox, guys like that. Jonathan Taylor's still in the prime of his career. And yet last year he averaged nine and a half yards a carry when the play was perfectly blocked, which is crazy to me, right? Like that kind of explosiveness. I think this team's going to be good as long as, again, some of the things that they've changed this offseason stay okay. And, and Matt Ryan is going to hit the easy ones, right? That's what they mm-hmm. missed with Wentz last year when yes. they schemed up and they were running the ball great. And then they had, I mean, it just happened in so many games where you just had somebody running wide open down the sideline and Wentz just missed them. He just yeah. missed them. Uh, but, you know, if Ngakwe plays again, if Darius Leonard's back thing makes me a little nervous. I don't know what's quite going on there. That's, but. If Stephon Gilmore comes back to anywhere close to the form uh, that he had, but he's, you know, you've been out 14 games in the last two years. So uh, there's a lot of things going on with this team. And it's, you know, we, we say it all the time, but it's like those key guys with injuries and do they, do they all come together in the same year, the way that they did for the Bengals team or one of those teams uh, a season ago. And then, you know, Tennessee, I think is the one that's really hard um to figure out derrick henry missed so much time last year came back tried to come back for the playoffs uh didn't you know just wasn't the same guy i didn't think coming in and and what happens with ryan Tannehill now without his top receiving threat yeah i mean robert woods is a a wonderful player i think but you know i don't know if he can carry a receiving core if traylon burks isn't what they thought he was and you know, they really haven't done well at tight end. I mean, I, I think they bring Austin Hooper in, who's okay, like a, you know, kind of a Jermaine Wiggins type, you know, Brandon Myers type tight end, in my opinion. But, um, but yeah, it, it's going to be tough for them. Uh, defensively, I think, you know, Kevin Byard shows what great safety play can do. I think Jesse Bates does the same thing for Cincinnati. Um, but that defense doesn't have a ton of talent either. Right. And, and they, they've spent a lot of money on Bud Dupree and he's been kind of a complimentary player. Uh, Landry, um, you know, and Simmons are good. But again, like, you know, they, they bought into Zach Cunningham. And I don't know if he is necessarily the linebacker you want, uh, you know, when when he is a very good two down guy in a three down lead. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. I, I, I hate doubting Grable because I think that he does just. He does just get a lot out of his team, but we'll, we'll see how it ends up going. Vrabel, Tomlin, Belichick, a lot of the guys that you talk about are very, you know, whether they go for it on fourth down, they don't, whatever, but they're very hands-on coaches. They, they get their hands on players, you know, Tomlin a lot with the secondary and a lot with the receivers. Uh, Vrabel with the defensive edge players, and he's out there practicing. Belichick in the weeds with all these guys and and those coaches and i think it's underestimated how some coaches just make their players better they're just improved you know belichick you see it time after time guys win with him or have great years with him go somewhere else and ultimately come back to him and i think that's part of it yeah i think i think the big i think a big edge in the nfl over the next few years is going to be gained by the teams that can robustly and repeatedly develop players 
we're kind of in a potato chip league right now where you draft guys, spend four years on your roster and they move on. And you kind of, they, they kind of let Jesus take the wheel on development. Um, <laughs> and I think that there's some incentive to do it that way, but I think teams that can actually develop players, make players better as they progress throughout their rookie contract. And even later on those teams, I think are, have an edge that maybe we don't recognize. Yeah. So you get one bet. Who are you taking out of the South? What What's the bet? I'm going to take the Jaguars 7-1 to one to win the division. Are and over really? six and a half wins. Very nice. Very nice. I, I'm I, I'm going to go with, what, in my opinion, the most disappointing team last year, and that's the Colts. I think that Matt Ryan gives them a different feel. He's going to, you know, the play action, the running game is going to give him some opportunities for deep balls. Um just to take the pressure off of that. But I, I, I just think his ability to complete the easy ones and to run, it, people really underestimate the value of quarterback decision-making in the run game. Seeing opportunities in the run game and with Jonathan Taylor, I think he's going to add that whole thing. I, I really think they're going to win that division this year. Um, let, let's jump over to the East, the Buffalo Bills, such an overwhelming favorite, almost unfairly in some ways. I'm like, the AFC is just so tough right now. And to make anybody an overwhelming favorite to, to go to and win a Super Bowl, I wouldn't bet them just not out of any disrespect to the Buffalo Bills. I just think the parody in the AFC this year means that we're going to be surprised again like we were with the Bengals last year. Yeah, we make them uh, 11.5. I mean, we put them right on market. So we we certainly at PFF give them the respect, but the markets are giving them respect. And I think, you know, for, for young sports bettors, if you're listening to this, like that's important, right? You're paying a premium to bet the teams like the Bills, to bet the teams like the Buccaneers, to bet teams like Green Bay, like Kansas City. You know, you have to find different ways to bet those teams because the marketplace is giving them the respect that I I think that they deserve. I mean, the, the thing with the Bills is like, you know, Von Miller, you know, was a was a shift in philosophy. You know, they did not have a top twenty paid player in the front seven for the majority of this ascension for them. You know, since McDermott took over uh, along with uh, Bean, um, but. You know, I think that they they view the time as now. I know that they're, you know, um, I have, you know, some friends that, uh, you know, work, you know, within, you know, the Kansas City and Buffalo organizations. And, you know, like, I think when they lost to the Chiefs the second time last year, it was one of those like, okay, what are we going to do here, right? And I think that that's, you know, when you think about motivation, that is the tough thing, right? Like we saw it with the Ravens. They go 14-2 and two in 2019. They come out of the gates hot in 2020. They get shellacked by the Chiefs in week three. And they've been basically in a malaise sense. Basically, like, you know, everything we have to prove is in the playoffs. So what are we going to do for these next 17 weeks, you know? And I think with with you saw that already in Buffalo last year, too. They lost to Jacksonville. They had a bunch of games where, like the Falcons game, they were trailing at halftime at home to a bad Falcons team. They were, they had, they were in the meat grinder against the Jets, both games, I think, uh, early. And then they, they broke away. The thing for me for Buffalo is this is the best team in football. And I think that the only thing between them and the AFC's one seed is boredom and, you know, some, like you said, some noisy thing like the the, the Jets getting good. Um, but this team, like, make no mistake, this is the best team in the league. And 
they've done a lot of things that are that you know you you look at and and you I I, I admire. So uh, you know the, I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this team compete this year. I think they will be the best team in the league to start the season. I completely 100% agree with that. I don't know that they will be by the end of the year. And one of the things that I saw a season ago was the power of being in a great division and slugging your way through that division um, to make it to the Super Bowl. Of course, the NFC West produced the Rams and the 49ers uh, who played right down to the wire for who goes to the Super Bowl there. And the Bengals come out of a tough North division. So uh, by the time that the Chiefs, Chargers, Raiders, and Broncos end up beating each other up in yeah. the West, whoever comes out of that, and it may be multiple teams that, that come out of the West, I think they're going to be the best team in football. I think they will be the best teams in football, uh, more so than, than what comes out of, um, out of the AFC East, unless the Miami Dolphins do what I think they're going to do. Um, if the Miami Dolphins can make that offense work, and the offense being the outside zone, the play action, if Tua can take those three receivers, four receivers really, and make it work, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are going to be as fast as anybody that anybody puts on the field. Cedric Wilson's a really solid player for the Cowboys for a long time. And Gusecki can can make plays over there. And you've been you've improved the system. You've improved the wide receivers greatly. You've improved the offensive line greatly if Armstead can play and Connor Williams plays up to a standard. Plus now the other guys are, you know, you pick out of the five, you know, three of them instead mm -hmm. of all five of them uh, up front. And we know they can play on the defensive side of the ball. I, I I look at the at the and I like the fact that Teddy Bridgewater sitting there as a backup quarterback as well. You know anything can happen at the quarterback position. I I just don't know how long it'll take Mike McDaniel to get that offense implemented. But I don't think the way it was in Green Bay or that you know it took Aaron Rodgers a year to sort of buy into it. I can't imagine Tua fighting at all because. That offense should fit him. He should be Jimmy Garoppolo 2.0 inside that offense. It should work. Yeah, I think that the real question is how much of Shanahan's brilliance is Shanahan? So when we look at, you know, we, we do this technique called, you know, principal component analysis, but also, you know, some, you know, basically like data wrangling. We look and Shanahan is like a few standard deviations more unique than any other offense in football. Meaning like when you like, if you put all the offenses in a cloud based upon their data, they, they stand out more than anybody ever. And so the question becomes, does that transfer to Miami? Because if it does, I think that this is going to be a successful year for Tua because here's a stat that I think is, a, is crazy. So as you know, Chris, we do big time throws and turnover worthy plays. And that's kind of like the PFF version of touchdowns and interceptions, right? And Jimmy Garoppolo in the 10 to 19 area last year, like the most valuable area of football, 10 to 19, two, two big time throws, 15 turnover worthy plays. But the, the San Francisco 49ers, when, when Garoppolo threw those passes, he had a, over a 107 passer rating. So somehow <laughs> Shanahan's taking that nonsense and making efficient offense out of it. Conversely, Tua Tagovailoa last year, Kind of the same thing, two big time throws, 
nine turnover worthy plays in the 10 to 19 area, but his passer rating on those plays was just 68.6. Meaning like he kind of was the same fundamentally as Jimmy G in that intermediate part of the field, but the Dolphins offense was not able to sort of manufacture anything out of that. So, you know, I think, you know, Tua Tungabailoa top five pick, you know, we probably assume prior that he's better than Jimmy G if, if he hits his ceiling. So if he improves, right, he improves on the two, two to nine ratio there and the offense can generate the value that it generated in San Francisco, this offense is going to be great and this is going to be a contender in the AFC. Like those are big ifs. Yeah, and the problem the positive, is that McDaniel's That's the positive spin to put on the Dolphins. Yeah, McDaniel's never been the play caller either. And if Correct. You, and, what, and, what, that is, and that's a big thing, by the way. And I'm not trying – there's a ton of coaches, Kevin O'Connell, McDaniel. Um, I even think Josh McDaniels is another one where, like, it, look, this is free advice. If I, if I was a – if I was advising head coaches, even, like, I think a lot of head coaches in the league – become head coaches even when they don't call plays. So like I think, you know, the knock on Eric Bieniemy has always been he never called plays. And, you know, um, you know, Brad Childers for Minnesota was that way too with 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 Andy Reid. And so was Doug Peterson. So there have been various levels of success. If I was a new head coach, I would also not and and I had never called plays before, I would just not call plays because you're learning two different skills at the same time while trying to run a billion dollar football team. That is where I see some of the leaks in like the Dolphins, which is like this guy's trying to learn how to be a head coach and call plays for the first time. And I just have an immense amount of like respect for what that must be like uh, and how hard it is. Well, and plus it takes as a play caller, um, and I've talked to Shanahan, both Shanahan's dad and son about this. Uh, it takes the discipline to not watch the play that's currently happening. Like you have to watch how the defense is reacting to the play that is currently happening, which is being called to set up something bigger than what you just called. Like, is that safety reacting? Are those yeah. linebackers flying across? You know, that's, those are the things that make great play callers. Uh, and I've called plays a little bit, even at the high school football level, and even at the peewee football level, Man, it is, it, it's harder than you think. It is because you have to, you basically have to have the next play in mind while that play is running and interpret the information that came out of that prior play and be willing to change your mind or confirm it or, you know, it's just, it's a lot. It is a lot. And, and if you've got a veteran quarterback, okay, let's turn it over to him at the line of scrimmage and, and let's go. They don't have either. They don't have either in Miami. It's important to realize, and, and, and you know, you both of us have played football. Obviously, you at a much higher level. The football is driven by there, – there's a great deal of, of what makes football players and football coaches great, which is the belief in yourself, right? And there's like a, a – a, a, arrogance is maybe the wrong word, but there's just like ego can take – like you have to believe in yourself, right? And so when, when these guys get to the top of the ranks, they're trying to prove something to somebody, right? And like, like I said, like I think Eric Bieniemy, for example, has been, everybody's used the trope that like, oh, he hasn't called plays, right? And so how the heck can he be a great coach if he isn't called plays? And we're just like, well, sure. But like the last thing, if I was Eric Bieniemy, for example, and I took a head coaching job would be to call plays, right? Because you're trying to learn how to run this football team. And 
you know, and the problem is, is like the great ones, Reed, McVeigh, Shanahan, um, you'd even go down to like Belichick. Uh, McDermott doesn't call plays Buffalo. I mean, funny, like, but like the great ones can do both. But like, do you really want to compete with the great ones right away when you haven't done either? Yeah, because you may not get another chance. Um, right. All right, give me your one bet out of the East. Who, who do you like? Who what would be what would be your your top bet uh, there? So I, I just uh, I like Miami under. I like I like I said. I think there's too many things that can go wrong to um, you know for this team. And you look at and I think we we have to expectation setting is so important um, in in the betting markets. We all look at this number and it's like eight and a half nine. And everybody's like, oh, they won nine games last year. So you don't think that they'll improve when they have Tyreek Hill and a better coach and all this stuff. And when you look at this team, they actually, if you look at points for and against, they they had a negative point differential, which corresponded to like 7.6 wins if you actually just use point differential. So they have to improve just to go over this, which I think they have, but I don't know if they've done enough. And when you look at their wins in the second half of the season, you're looking at Houston, Baltimore, who was coming off of an overtime game, and then they had to play on Thursday night football. The Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, the Jets, the Saints with Ian Book. And then a Patriots team that, like, were trying, but they were already in the playoffs in Week 18. So I think that we have to think of last year's Dolphins as more of, like, a seven-win team and then adjust from there, and which I think makes eight-and-a-half, nine, nine-and-a-half wins a tougher climb than people believe. No, I, I hear you. Plus, you've got Mac Jones, who, without question, I thought was the best of the rookie quarterbacks that came out and the least talked about in many ways, uh, you know, in that division as well. I'm I'm going to go the opposite of that. I, I'm going to go I, – I think that Miami Dolphins have put together a group of skill position players and an offensive line now that won't destroy them and still maintain what they did on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm, I'm going to take – very rarely would I go directly against you, but uh, maybe it's because they used to be my favorite team when I was growing up. So that has something to do with it. Got the Bengals, I got the Dolphins. I'm going, you know, I'm going back to the future. Come back in one second, and we're going to uh, knock out the, uh, the the division that really matters in my mind, and that's the AFC West. Uh, this is going to be a train killer. All right, back in the Western and Southern studios here. And uh, we always thank Western and Southern. They have a lot to do with uh, paying all the brilliant people like Eric Eager here to to uh, figure out what the math means when it comes to football. And now we are off to the final division in the AFC, and that being the AFC West. And, and in my mind, this may well pick the Super Bowl champion this year. I love the team's that are going to go beat each other up here and just harden themselves. And I can make a legitimate case that any one of these teams in this division will win this division right off the bat. I, you have to keep, you have to talk about the Kansas city chiefs, right? I mean, they've just been too consistent, too good at coaching quarterback to not start with the Kansas city chiefs, but they don't feel like the dominant pick to me in this division anymore yeah i mean i think they had to have they had a heart to heart this offseason right i mean they you know 2018 they find out they have a great quarterback so they buy in you know significantly you know they go frank clark and sammy watkins and you know to go with tyree kill and travis kelsey and um 
Chris Jones was a big, you know, Max Steel kind of player. And they they go all in. They they win one Super Bowl, um, 2020 uh, off season. I think you remember they were like forty seven dollars under the cap at one point. And so you know they they before you know the um you I mean Brady left the conference right. We didn't know that Herbert and Burrow were going to be great. We didn't know Josh Allen was what he was. And so the Chiefs like shoved all their chips in the middle to win the AFC, and then they did, right? And then that's left them kind of in cap difficulty over the last few years take a step back now and the AFC is full of teams that are challenging them and in the case of the Chargers and the Bengals challenging them and maybe the Dolphins challenging them with quarterbacks on a rookie deal so the Chiefs did take a step I wouldn't necessarily say backwards this year but they took a different step right they you know trading Tyreek Hill and and letting Tyron Matthew walk and um, you know, letting not paying Orlando Brown the top end deal. And and by the way, if you want on PFF.com, uh, you know, uh, $40, you know, 40% off, by the way, uh, one of uh, the interns in our R&D group showed why that was a good decision, the, the diminishing returns to brilliance and tackle play. Um, I thought it was really good look into why, you know, the Chiefs were right not to pay Orlando Brown. But they take a step back and say, look, we're going to play the long game. We're going to try to become the Patriots of this decade, of this 20 years. Um, and I think a lot of people are like, okay, well, instead of having one really good wide receiver, you're trying to spread the risk out at the wide receiver position now with Valdez, Scanling, Sky Moore, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, you know, defensively, they, they, they drafted three to, you know, four defensive backs, I'm sorry, in April's draft to try to spread out the risk there as opposed to concentrating it all on Tyron Matthew. And, and any time a team takes a philosophical shift in how they're trying to win, I think that the market is right to pull back a little bit. They haven't pulled back a lot, right? Um, they're 10 to one to win the Super Bowl, which is I think tied for third uh, in the NFL, but they're not the favorite for the first time in a while. Yeah, it, it, you know, Mahomes is coming off some foot issues and, you know, and he even talks about that, you know, he's having to go back and sort of retrain himself and some of the accuracy issues. And, uh, but you take Tyreek out, Travis Kelsey is getting older. Um, they've seemed to, you know, this was a team that always seemed to win like the old Lakers. It was fast break. Let's see how fast we can make the game. Let's, we want to go up and down the field and make somebody try and match with us what's happening. And between the two deep and the four deep zones that they saw a season ago and taking Tyreek's ability to catch and run with the ball, uh, underneath, it just doesn't feel. Now, I, I mean, there's good guys there. Juju's a good player. Uh, Arquez Valdez Scantling is a good player. McCole Hardman, Sky Moore, rookie, but, but they're not Tyreek Hill. And is this just a different football team right now? Who and we saw what they did a season ago when p teams were able to slow them down. And I can't imagine philosophically anybody's going to change their approach when they play Kansas City, at least until they prove they can do something differently. And can Mahomes and can Andy Reid win in that sort of 10, 12 play drive scenario where they just have to keep hitting completions and making the run game work? Yeah, their team was first in the NFL in points per drive last year, but they had the fewest drives in the NFL. So... That's exactly what you're saying. Like the NFL forced them to be to be patient. And I know you had their game against Denver, right? When they were in that middle of that stretch where they, I think they had three straight home games 
They won all three, but they scored, I think, 19 against Dallas, 13 against Green Bay, and I think 23 in the game that you had with, with Denver. They eventually figured it out, right? They eventually figured it out until the Bengals game when the Bengals dropped eight and, and you know, and, and sort of and, – and in the first half of that game, the Chiefs got every yard in front of them the whole half except for the final one when Tyreek got tackled at the one-yard line in the half. So it, for half a game, they got, they got stymied. And I think, you know, if I'm Andy Reid and I look at this and I say, okay, the best coaches tailor their scheme to their players. And Tyreek Hill is a deep threat player. He is an after-the-catch guy. He, and NFL teams made that almost impossible to do, right? If you looked at, um, you know, box count above expected and things like that, anything the Chiefs used in their tool set to try to get players out of the deep halves of the field didn't work. And so Tyree Kill, his average depth of target last year dropped by two and a half yards. His his yards after the catch dropped by a yard and a half. He dropped 23 passes the last two years because he he's not like a nat. He's it sounds really stupid to say because he's one of the best receivers in the whole league, but he's not a natural receiver, right? He's more of like a deep threat guy, kind of a body catcher kind of guy. And so when you're throwing him bullets underneath, you're going to get like you had in your game with the Bills. You're going to have a pick six every once in a while because he blanks the ball off his hands. And so it made a lot of sense for the Chiefs to say, okay, well, we're not going to be able to, we're going to have to scratch and claw just to get 1% better at doing the things we've always done because the NFL is going to be, they're, they, they're destined not to let us do that anymore. Why not just change who you are and make the NFL adapt? I, I to me it's one of the most intriguing teams to watch this year. I, you know, I, they had the whole off season to go. Okay, we know how to do this, and we lose, you know, Tyreek Hill in the process. So I, I, I literally can't wait to watch them play. I, I, I want to see what the what the off season brought. The Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett goes in as the offensive coordinator. You think of sort of the transition. Uh, that they had to make in in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers up there. Well, Nathaniel Hackett's going to have to do the same thing with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is a great deep ball thrower. Uh, he has not been consistently a great sort of catch it, throw it over the middle, you know, read it. You know, th that's not been the way he plays the game. He's he's a guy that draw, wants to drop back ten yards and move and, and keep plays alive. Um, what sort of blending of those two people do you think we see out of the Denver Broncos and how quickly does it come into play? Cause they've got Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler. They have players up front and their running backs may be as good as anybody, uh, has in the game right now. Javante Williams is really a friggin' stud. That guy can, can play and they split carries with Melvin Gordon last year to give you some idea how good they still think Gordon is. Yeah. Gordon actually has been kind of pretty underrated. Um, that defense too has talent. I mean, you have Patrick Sertain, you have, um, you know, uh, Jeff, you know, Simmons in the back end as well. You have Randy Gregory coming over from Dallas. Who's a good football player. It, there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, I think that the issue that I have is like, expectations are maybe a bit high for year one. And, and you look at sort of like the fundamentals of, you know, when Aaron Rodgers was struggling at the end of the McCarthy era, what was it? It was freelancing. It was, you know, not, you know, one, two, three, bang. I, you, you need to be able to, like, when you have wide receivers like Cortland Sutton or, um, you know, Jerry Judy, 
kind of like when you have wide receivers like Devontae Adams, like you need to hit your back foot and throw the ball to the open guy. And I think Rodgers at the end of his McCarthy era, 2018, 2.94 time to throw, right? So he's taken a lot of time in the pocket. He had 59 throwaways, which I still think is the PFF record. You come in, you get Lafleur in, right? You get Hackett in, right? Hackett now the head coach of the, of the Broncos. 2019, it was 2.92 seconds to throw and 46 throwaways. Kind of the same thing. And in fact, his yards per attempt went down that year, even though they won 13 games. I think a lot of people, you know, that was a, a lot of close wins, a good defense, an opportunistic defense. It wasn't until 2020 that his time to throw dropped to 2.68 seconds, threw the ball away only 38 times, 49 big time throws. He started to really, you know, trust the offense, right? And that was Rodgers. You know, when you look at Russell Wilson, um, 2020, 3.3 sec 3.03 seconds to throw, right? So not all that different. It was 2.8 or so last year, so it did get better. I think some of that was due to, like, his, you know, he didn't trust his ability to hold the ball after he got injured um, because early in the season, you know, he was still holding it fairly fairly voraciously. Um can Wilson skip the one year that Rodgers had to get acclimated to this kind of system? If he can, I think the sky's the limit for the Broncos. I, if I, old habits die hard, this is going to be, especially in this division, where if they, if you, if any of these teams slip up, it's curtains for them, right? So that that's the question I have. Is that the win total for the Broncos is ten? Is that right? Ten. I I just couldn't do that because because I saw this in Green Bay. We saw a great player take a year to transition, and I think if anything, Russell Wilson is sort of less inclined to get the ball out of his hand quickly than what Aaron Rodgers was. And and to me, it's like Muhammad Ali fighting without throwing a jab. You know, as a quarterback. You have to jab, 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 which is a throw in the flat, a quick slant, a, 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 a sticks to your tight end, you know, five yards away from you. Jab, you, you know, make that defense come to you and then take the shot. Um, they've got the running game to set it up. I, I just don't know that Russell in year one is going to go, oh, yeah, let me change everything that I've ever done to, to make billions of dollars <laughs> within my family here. Um, and, and I, 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 that's the one I, I, I probably believe in the least. Would it stun me if like, I really believe in the offense. I just don't know if you can expect a veteran quarterback to change that quickly and just yeah. completely buy in the, the, the Seattle Seahawks last year were one of the worst teams in terms of percentage of plays where no wide receivers got open. And Russell Wilson was still pretty good at finding players who weren't contested. It's sort of this weird stat that I looked at. The Broncos, on the other hand, were one of the top teams in the NFL in, in percentage of plays where a receiver got open. And yet the quarterbacks were less able to take advantage of it. If those two things can merge, the Broncos are going to be great. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen. I think styles make fights in the NFL, and the best coaches can mold their scheme to a style. Um, can they do it in one year? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the the Raiders, the other intriguing team here, uh, they're, they're – the lowest of the win total teams, so eight and a half, right, uh, for them. And yet you can make a case that they've got an established quarterback in Derek Carr. They've got an established running back in, in Josh Jacobs. But now, I mean, I'll take Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro 
and play with anybody. I mean, that's as good a three wide receiver or tight end package as you come up with. So why is this team predicted to be under 500? Well, I think everybody says that it was a 10 and seven team when, you know, if you look at last year, um, you know, the Raiders last season, it wasn't really fundamentally a 10 win team. Um, They had a negative 65 point differential. So that corresponds to more like a seven win team Um, down the stretch there. You had a win against Cleveland, I believe on a Monday or Tuesday night where Nick Mullins was starting. You have a win against the Broncos by just four when Drew Locke was starting. Um, You beat the Colts where there was COVID all over the place, Colts offensive line and things like that. And then you had the Chargers game, which like, I mean, you did that game. It was the best game of the whole season. It, you know, there was just the Chargers being the Chargers, you know what I mean? And so um, that, that I think is maybe where, you know, I come back and I say, you know, let's set expectations. You know, the market's basically saying that this team's a win and a half better than they were last year. The, the question I have, and, I, you know, Derek Carr is a very interesting case. I don't think he's actually established as this team's quarterback. I think that he's effectively on a one-year deal with a team option after that. So this is a big one for Carr. Carr, during the John Gruden era, just got better every single year with Gruden. And so the question I have, and obviously you had the hiccup where Gruden leaves and Bisacci is the coach and but the, the 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 sort of and and Henry Ruggs leaves, so there were a lot of like you know impediments put in front of Carr last year. But the the same fundamentals like Gruden did unlock an aggressiveness and a and a quality of play in Derek Carr that had been lacking under the Del Rio uh, regime. McDaniel's has got to unlock that uh, again, and if he does, I think this team could be good. Um, but if he doesn't, like the offensive line isn't particularly great, and you know, there, there are questions about Waller as far as, like, I know that he's, you know, been the subject of trade, uh, you know, rumors and things like that. But there are some things that can go wrong for this team that, to me, make it hard and, and why I'm actually on their under. Because I, I think the schedule is hard. I think they have the fourth hardest schedule in the NFL. Um, and there are, I think people are looking at last year as if the Raiders overcame some difficulties, when in reality, I think, Gruden set them up decently and then you know obviously things went badly but there was like a water level that I think Josh McDaniel is not necessarily trivial for him to 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 rise up to sometimes Josh McDaniels who probably spends personally more time on protections and practices and walkthroughs than anybody I see as we go around from team to team uh, with their more of their man blocking scheme and, and play action off of that and the ability to sneak tight ends across. And I, I, I think he's going to help their protection. Uh, some uh, Chandler Jones is going to have to be the Chandler Jones of old uh, because this secondary is, man, in this division, <laughs> you better have some cornerbacks. And now Rocky Sin, I guess, is going to be their guy that, that comes over there. Uh, let's go on to the, to the chargers, because if there's ever a team that I think has driven people at PFF crazy, it may be the chargers. Is this finally the year that they slug their way through this division, come out of it, battle tested and end up with a run at the Super Bowl? I mean, there just isn't any major reason why you wouldn't believe that to be true. I mean, just starting on the 
Cleo Mack and Joey Boza alone scale yep. in this division makes this thing interesting. And then you go with J.C. Jackson getting added in the secondary. I mean, there's just Derwin James at the safety. There's just so many things that you go, forget the offense, and they've got great weapons on offense. What they've done to this defense ought to give them a chance. Yeah, and, um, you know, the the prior Chargers kind of would have stopped there, right? Like, they, they, they feel like, you know, if you don't – dig a little deeper they kind of feel like the Washington football teams early in the Dan Snyder era right where they they, they get Deion Sanders and Bruce Smith and everybody's like oh my gosh this team's a Super Bowl team and there's just too many weak links but you look it actually it's the secondary guys that I feel like make me more bullish on the Chargers than I otherwise would be and I'm, I'm holding on to a four four to one ticket for them to win the AFC West even though I am a Kansas City fan like the you know it got great value there um, but it's Sebastian Joseph Day. It's Bryce Callahan playing the nickel. Um, it's Zion Johnson in the draft to play guard on an offensive line that kind of was always like one piece away, right? Um, it's those kind of moves where I'm thinking, yeah, of course they got superstars. Mac, I, you know, who knows if he'll be brilliant anymore, but he's fine. J.C. Jackson, I think there's questions as to whether he can be worth the contract in a different scheme other than the Patriots obvious questions as to whether Derwin James can stay healthy. The linebacking core is, you know, probably their weakest group, but they added pieces that I think fortify things to where I think this is different than the normal. And again, famous last words. I think this is different than the normal chargers team. Um, last year, their biggest problem was they wanted to run the Fangio defense. They wanted to run too high stuff. And, and they just like with Limbaugh Joseph being older and, linebackers not being great players they could not they could not square it and they lost games to houston and they lost obviously to the vegas raiders in the week 17 week 18 game um i think that brandon staley gets it i i think that you know justin herbert gets it if you assume even just like modest improvement from herbert i mean this team's gonna be so hard to beat i mean you go right down the list that justin herbert would 5,000 yards passing. In the first two years, no player has more completions, yards, passing touchdowns, or touchdowns than Justin Herbert. Austin Eckler, 20 touchdowns a, a season ago, 12 rushing, 8 receiving. He's just been amazing. Mike Williams, a big play guy down the field. Keenan Allen, uh, just uh, year after year, over 100. Both those guys, over 1,100 yards receiving. Uh, Rashawn Slater had a great year at the left tackle position. Corey Lindsley, the former Packers guy, now a Pro Bowl center. Like, I was talking about the Bengals when we started off this program. Like, what is it that I'm supposed to not like about this football team? And they're playing in that division that is going to make everybody just so battle-tested. I, I, I think if I had to pick somebody out of the AFC at the end of the year, it just might be the Chargers. And I hate doing that because I know how many people around PFF has, have done that over the years. I just can't come up with the why that this one, this isn't the best team. Well, I think that the biggest one would be like regression on the part of Herbert, right? Like if Herbert, and, we, and like, I think all of us, that that's the mistake we make, right? Like we make, you know, when Carson Wentz is brilliant in year two, like we all assume that it's just, it's just all up and up for every, you know, every player. And, and, you know, that's why, you know, the, the casinos in Vegas have bright lights because 
not everything, you know, not everything moves linearly, right? There, there are bumps in the road. Peyton Manning in 2001 had more interceptions and touchdowns, right? Like there, there are always these years that, you know, befuddle us. And I think, you know, Herbert was a player who, you know, did not have the, the most brilliant, you know, Oregon career after starting out great. So there is evidence that, you know, he's not perfect. I think most people look at him play and say, okay, they, this is a sustainably good quarterback, much like Burrow. And, and we're just, we're just factoring that in where, you know, I think that if you are going to have a bearish bet on either one of those teams, like that's the reason why one of those guys regresses. Yeah. And, and but you could say the same thing about Josh Allen and that didn't happen. So, you know, I'm, uh, the, right. the guys yep. with the I mean, physical skills, but Josh Allen last year, though, by the way, we, we do have to Josh Allen last year, passer rating went down like 15 points. Completion percentage went down like five or six points. Yards per attempt went down about a full yard. Like it did happen, right? It was just like that Bills team is so good. And the AFC East is sort of so winnable that we didn't see it. And he, and, and like Patrick Mahomes, his yards per attempt have gone down every single year since 2018. So that does happen. And I guess like the, the question I have is, you know, is, is the rest of the team good enough for us not to notice? And I think in the case of Buffalo and for the most part, Kansas city, that ha that's been the case. I think for the chargers, you know, they're really making a bank on the fact that Herbert's going to stay the same. And then all these other players can come up and, and build from that. Yeah. I, I think for me, the bigger aberration other than Herbert um, was the defense being ranked 23rd. Now you add yep. J.C. Jackson. Now you add uh, Khalil Mack uh, to go along with Joey Bosa. If they finish 23rd this year, <laughs> there are going to be some people fired with that Chargers team. So um, I, I probably would not bet the over on the win total for the this, this season. But I think much like the 49ers and the Rams a year ago, you're going to see – better teams come out of this division so it wouldn't surprise me at all if whoever it is that survives those four teams ends up winning the uh or at least going to the super bowl out of the afc eric thank you so much is there who's who's your bet let me just finish up with that out of that division what are you betting uh i'm i'm gonna go vegas under eight and a half wins um i'm not you know, I wrote about it on PFF.com. I'm not thrilled about it. Again, like these markets, if you're new to betting, like these markets are pretty well established at this point. You kind of have to wait for injuries and stuff now, unfortunately, to really get a, a big edge. Um, but you, I, I think I think the Raiders under, I think among the teams that they are the weakest, and it's just, it's really hard for all four teams in a division to have a winning record. Yeah, I, I probably would do the same with the Denver Broncos. I'm not, I'm not quite ready to buy in. I, that would be one incredible coaching job uh, for them to get over <laughs> over 10 wins in this first year. I'd probably go under on that one. That was fun. All right, I, you'll make the bets. I won't make any of them, but uh, God, I wish I could. I, I do kind of wish that I was allowed to do some of this stuff. I think it would be really fun. So look for the PFF app coming very, very soon, and uh, we're going to keep having some fun. Eric, thanks, bud. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Thank you.